0: the pilot tv podcast this week we're returning to the golden age of hollywood in ryan murphy's tinseltown series of the same name getting our parisian jazz on in jack thorne and damien chazelle's the eddie and ripping off the local circus with joe gilgan and his merry band of miscreants in season two of brassic I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has become so obsessively invested in Connell and Marianne's relationship over the past week that we can barely think about anything else. That Jamie A, what a dick. Joining me, as ever, are my two co-hosts. First up, a man who has his own IMDb page with no less than 50 separate entries one of which is an officially sanctioned acting role in annually retentive where he played someone called boyd hilton Uh, while 49 are actually credited for playing himself in the likes of ooh you are awful tv we used to love the barbara windsor story and most annoying people 2010 let's not forget of course 2003's 100 greatest sexy moments unfortunately his breakout performance as pant stacker in the gavin and Stacey christmas special went uncredited uh he's a household name in television and has at no point been a historian and fellow of trinity college like his namesake it's the second most famous boyd hilton hello boyd
1: wow you've done a lot
0: of very <laughs> sudden research thank you what was the uh, single greatest sexy moment of 2003 do you remember
1: no, it's all it's all a blur to be honest. But you'll be <laughs> pleased you to remember. know that <laughs> yeah, I've on. added to my um, I am this morning, this very morning. I did a um, a new Talking Heads show for Channel Five about Gavin and Stacey, yeah. and I did a Zoom Talking Head. They're now doing basically. They're still so desperate for content on TV. They're doing the. They're still doing these shows, and they're doing all the contributors will be doing it via Zoom, and that's what I did this morning.
0: And do you update your own IMDb page, or do they do it no. for you? What? <laughs> I'm like, do you Safe. have people for this?
1: <laughs> fuck no.
0: I don't know. Fuck knows who does it. I mean, I was just curious. Like, because, like, Wikipedia doesn't let you fuck about with your own page. Mm. Like, it has to be done by others. And I wonder whether IMDb was managed by the people involved or whether some Not. grand pooh bar does it. No, I think some grand pooh bar. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Christ knows. Interesting. Interesting. Joining Boyd and myself is an equally famous personage. She is the author of the upcoming autobiography coming undone a recent creator of a small human and like joe gilgan's brassic character has undoubtedly ripped off a circus at some point in her life it's <laughs> terry white hello I'm terry
2: james dyer i mean basically well it was more rather than a circus it was more the traveling fair was the big deal in my time they used to come into chesterfield car park and uh, park up and um, all the girls would get off with the um the travelling men who would spin who would spin your waltzes faster if you screamed hysterically. Is that a euphemism? No, that's not right, you've okay. because I didn't partake in such a thing, but other girls did. Um and I think I've told you this before, they used to have Danger Night, which was the first night the fair was active after they'd set it up, and all the prices were 50% off. All the rides were half price. Because they were testing them out, and it used to be called Danger Night. And I've asked loads of <laughs> southern people if this was a thing down south, and apparently it wasn't.
0: No, well, because they're not sure if they've assembled it properly, and you could go flying off into the atmosphere. That's well, kind of the. presumably,
2: uh, Danger Night, fifty percent off. Take your life in your hands, off you go.
0: Is that where all the cool cool kids went on I Danger mean, Night?
2: Yeah, all the all the youth went on Danger <laughs> Night. Um, but I I just thought this was a fair thing. A, a, you know, a travelling fair custom, but apparently, the more I speak to people and they look at me like you and Boyd just looked at me, the more I figure <laughs> it's it's not a it's not a thing.
0: Well, the only fair that I used to go to was pinna Fair. It was where I, I grew up, <laughs> in pinna And the, the the fair would come to pinna once a year. And the only thing I would ever do there is play on the arcades. So I would go there and I would I would play Street Fighter 2 and stuff like that in the arcades. We do, like, car washing. Me and my friends would do car washing around the local area in the days leading up to Pinna Fair. So we had some cash to take down. And then we'd go and blow it all on the arcades. That's very yeah, sweet. Yeah, that's I have a great.
1: bit of a fear of fairs. I don't, I don't like them at all. I find them really creepy and horror like Austin Powers small hands smell like yeah cabbage. and just you know the elephant man it reminds me of the elephant man all the freaks and all that you know I just
2: don't like them
1: there's
2: not like conjoined twins yeah but it's like, so she,
1: was- you say that but I see a lot of horror horror <laughs> implications like that episode of euphoria was a nightmare I don't like yeah. I just don't like
0: them hmm. so you're particularly into it, that series of American horror story then
1: Oh, God, I couldn't stand that series. That is my, by far my least favourite series of American Horror Story, and I like American Horror Story. You. it traumatised totally traumatised me, yeah. Boyd, have you ever
2: been on a waltzer?
1: Uh, I don't think so, no.
2: Have you ever no. been on any fairground ride?
1: I mean, I've been on, uh, on um, on yeah, the odd fairground ride, yeah, but I didn't enjoy it, yeah. I found it quite dramatic <laughs> all of the... I mean, I've been to Disneyland and Disney World, you know. So you go to Winter
0: Wonderland in Hyde Park at Christmas. Oh, I have, not but, but I against once. my will, I've been dragged yeah. there. yeah. I didn't yeah. enjoy Ridiculous. it. Uh, So we had the Empire Christmas party at Winter Wonderland once, where we all ate turkey in a tent and then did the rides together.
2: I mean, that sounds horrific. It really was. I'm not sure what's more traumatic, (laughs) that or the thought of a little boy trapped (laughs) on a ride, terrified, hating every minute. yeah amazing
0: amazing um i remember going there with a friend who had some kids with them and he was like oh you're gonna send them a rise. i was like guys i was like not being funny but this is how almost every other horror film i've seen begins <laughs> just like what are you doing yeah. sending your kids unaccompanied into the quote-unquote fun house i just think just don't do it don't do it
2: your children so are saying. going to die <laughs>
0: exactly have you not seen us it doesn't end well <laughs> Anyway, anyway, enough digression. Let's get straight into what we've been watching. And I'm going to kick this off, as was implied by my introduction, because I have been watching normal people. And to say I love normal people would be an understatement. This is my show of the year thus far. It is surpassing The Expanse and Picard, which is saying no small (gasps) thing. But it's just the most magnificent 12 episodes of television. It is so emotionally turbulent. And their relationship is so raw and real and maddening and just clumsy and believable and i just i felt like i experienced every scene of this show with these characters and god i went through the ringer i was a fucking wreck when i finished the final episode of that an absolute wreck it just destroyed me and i think those performances both of them were just beyond good just so so good and i don't know how much of it is down to it like i said i haven't read the book though i very much now want to how much it is down to how Sally Rooney drew those characters. But they are so layered and they are so real. Like, they almost feel more real than actual people. Like, it's quite <laughs> extraordinary. And the layers of emotional baggage that each of them carry and the fact that, you know, and there's lots of conversation on Twitter when I was talking about this. People saying, oh, God, no, these, these two self-destructive people. I was like, no, no, no. It's that they both got their issues like for him it's like crippling shyness and an inability to articulate his emotions he has eq problems with her it's obviously the toxic families led to her having massive self-esteem problems and self-worth issues Uh, and their inability to communicate is obviously like so many shows the the crux of all the drama you know if they just sat down and actually spoke to each other everything would be fine but um yeah I, i i thought it was absolutely magnificent and i can't say enough good things about it
2: Well, I am with you because I watched the final eight in one go. On Tuesday, we are recording this on Friday and I'd been rationing them because I'd been trying to kind of eke it out for as long as possible. Because when I love something, I go full, like all you can eat Buffy, face first in it, gorging until I feel sick. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to like appreciate each and every episode. And then on Tuesday it was cobbing it down. It's a pretty miserable day. I was like, fuck this. I'm getting into bed with my baby and we're watching eight episodes of Normal People. And I mean, we talked about it obviously a few weeks ago. And I remember talking about how it wasn't edgy, but it was really lovely and sweet. Mm. And But the way it changes as it goes on, Christ Almighty, when you watch the entire thing in one go as I did, the way the characters change... All of the stuff you're talking about, James, with her toxic family and what that leads her to do. There's some oh, really God. kind of you know dark shit in there. It goes yeah. to some really dark places. Um, and but it's just, I mean, Daisy Edgar Jones, especially Paul Mescal, who I just think. How has he not been in everything so far? He is extraordinary.
0: And so much of that performance is internal. Like so much of it is not what he says, it's what he doesn't say and can't say. And just the contortions of his face, as you can see what's going through his mind and his inability to articulate it. And I just, hes a really funny one because there's that bit where early on, certainly in the first two episodes that we saw, and we won't do any plot spoilers, no one panic. um, But like, you you just wanted to slap him around the head. like, you lummox, what are you doing? And you just, you get quite irritated by him. And he behaves in ways that, not particularly good but he's got this he's got this sort of moral core to him that's just sort of rock steady and steadfast and he's this one constant and you you i mean yeah he's a really really awesome character i thought he was
2: magnificent but just also as a a portrait of being of first love, but also being that age, like I absolutely—I was talking about this on Twitter. I hated being a teenager; every single minute of being a teenager, <laughs> I fucking hated university. I was surrounded by middle-class posh people, none of whom I related to. I mean, your Couldn- life hasn't
0: changed that much in that regard, <laughs> if I'm honest no, with you. No,
2: but you know, I hate it all significantly less now. But it actually, what was so like so brilliant about it is even though I hated all of that stuff in my own life, it was such a beautiful portrait of what that can be, that I had this weird thirst for and tenderness for being a teenager and for being at university that I never had in real life. It was weird because the longing it gave you and the just this sweet, I mean, oh God, I was absolutely bereft (laughs) when it finished. (laughs) I was just like sat staring at the wall going, what now?
0: Just, just honestly, mm. one of the most romantic things I think I've ever seen. Just it's all the feels, but it makes you it makes you d- d- sad. It makes you absolutely furious at times, like outrage. And there are so many moments that we obviously can't talk about because this isn't the spoiler special. Unfortunately, we haven't been able to do one for this one. But uh, there there are there are a couple of moments where you are just like, yes, fucking finally. <laughs>
1: you know. Uh, I would add that I actually think um, beyond it just being the romantic element you were talking about and um the what it deals with without spoiling it the the in quotes issues you know the mm. the, 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 the 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 traumas that various characters have um her fucked up boyfriends i mean i'm going to say that <laughs> with that that's not spoilers generally no. like, those fucking bellets so brilliantly portrayed i have to say but i think i finished it and i thought actually The other, just generally about human interrelationships, like Mm. miscommunication. It's brilliant Mm. on miscommunication, isn't it? And and on people getting the wrong understanding. And I think that that doesn't go just for like you know boyfriend teenagers boyfriend. I think that goes through life. I'm like sitting there thinking, oh my god, well this is a really this can really teach people about not to fall into certain traps about making assumptions. Yeah, the importance Mm. of. Honesty and communicate, and and just not falling into the trap of assuming what the other person is thinking about you. Mm. It's so clever on that, and it's so the the observations of that are so brilliant. It's like you've never, you know, when observational in comedy, when observations are made about everyday life, you know, like wow, I can't believe no one's ever said this before. I feel like that about it. It's like I don't feel any, and I think that must be what everyone loved about the book is that she somehow pinpoints how these things work and the complexities of managing to, to get to the truth of things between two people. It's so brilliantly done, yeah. So I, I, I completely agree. And I, I also finished, I think I finished it at two or three in the morning. Yeah. Um, and, and... Um, Everyone's been going on about... I think uh, uh, I wanted to mention Hetty McDonald because she directed the whole of the second half of it. Mm. And she did a brilliant job. I mean, it's I agree totally beautifully about beautifully directed. Yeah. And, and
0: she, some of the shots are it stunning.
1: It looks incredible. The intimacy. I talked about the huge mm. close-ups. Like, I've never seen such mm. huge close-ups. It works so well. Um, also, the
0: equality of the nudity, I thought, you know, props to them for that. Yeah. That while, <laughs> yeah. admittedly, Daisy <laughs> yes, of... A lot of it topless, but they do say, "You know yeah. what? Turnabouts, fair play. Yeah. Get your knob out." You know, and I, and I think that's fair.
1: And I love it so much. And I agree. I think it's also one of my favourite. I would say this and Devs are my favourites of the year. Um, I love it so much that when I've seen people nitpicking about it steady Terry steady, just put a tongue out thanks um, when I see people nitpicking about normal people it's getting to the point where there's going to be a think piece isn't there in the Guardian probably oh. saying oh why God. and I've seen people saying there are too many sex scenes I've seen people saying it's slow I'm like you are fucked up yeah, because 100%. it is it is slow, if you stand back and think about it, sometimes things do take quite a long time, but that's yeah. the whole point of it. It lives and breathes its own pace brilliantly. And I, I think the sex scenes, as I said, when we first reviewed I think they're so incredible and brilliantly done mm. that it's but key. They're key to the whole thing, aren't they?
2: No, but I saw somebody say, moaning that it was longer than the Irishman. So they were oh like, I've added it up and it's longer than the Irishman. I'm like, I don't even fucking know what that comparison is meant to mean. But, but it's nothing meaningful.
0: There wasn't Ridiculous. one minute of this show that I was bored, like not mm. one mm. minute. I was drawn in, engaged, riveted from start to finish of it. And, uh, and it's funny cause this is obviously a lot of people doing this. Uh, the, the, glorious sarah Phelps. so one evening i was watching it and i look, was looking on twitter afterwards and i just saw her tweeting so I oh shut up jamie you turd <laughs> hashtag <laughs> normal people and i was like yes yeah. yes indeed uh and also just big shout out to sarah green because lorraine is my god uh i thought lorraine was the yes. most amazing yeah. character incredible she's, she's brilliant
2: Backing up your point on direction, Boyd. Like what I loved about Hetty's episodes is there was obviously there was shared DNA and it was it was part of the same thing, but it also looked different enough that mm. she was making it her own thing. So the first episode she directed, the opening scene was this kind of face-off between the two of them and across a yeah. the cafe table, and it you instantly knew it was a different director. But they were both so brilliant. Mm. Um, and But hers had a real mark of her work and his had a mark of his. And I thought that took kind of real confidence actually to allow them to both express it in their own ways, especially when the first six episodes are so amazing yeah. that when that shift comes, but it, they were all just yeah. incredible
1: i think the first half has a slightly more um like realist tone to it and mm. i think the second half is a slightly more poetic tone that's what i was thinking but yeah it, you're right it does all it does completely work um and but the going to say the good news is they are doing of course um sally rooney's first book so that well that, that's we can look forward to that and conversations I'm, so, with my friends it? yeah conversations
2: with friends with yeah. friends yeah
1: so I mean, yeah,
0: because everyone's demanding. Like, Can we get a season two of normal people? And there's a part me that I would almost give anything to spend more time with these characters. But equally, I just think you kind of can't do that. Like this is a story that needs to be now left alone, lest it be ruined. But uh, yeah, mm.
2: yeah, and the ending, without us giving anything away, it's a very specific, mm. you know, deliberately chosen. Yeah ending and it would feel really really odd for them to kind of go on from the book in a handmaid's tale way and and create a whole new narrative because whether you agree or disagree with the ending it's kind of a perfect ending in many respects and and it would be hard to see that undone
0: i agree i agree yeah normal people available now on iplayer um or hulu in the states so what else have you guys been watching
2: Season three of Line of Duty. Um, oh, this Terry's is, this... rewatch.
0: Now we've finished my Battlestar Galactica. Now this is Terry's Line of Duty rewatch.
2: This is this is uh, this is my Battlestar Galactica. I watched. <laughs> so I'm watching a season a week at the moment, which shows you how much time I have on my hands in the middle of the night. Um, and this is the Daniel May's season, um, dealing with historic child abuse and the kind of wider. Um, Criminal outfit that have been looming over it since season one. Oh my god, it's so good! And every time I start a new season, I'm like, I'm not sure about this. I really think the last season was better. And then I'm drawn in within about 13 seconds. So season four starts tomorrow, guys.
0: Yeah, woo! And sooner or later, you'll More get to the week. point when there is a UCO inside the OCG.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: oh, love that show so much, um Boyd. What have you been rewatching?
1: Perhaps. Um, no, don't rewatch. Um, but uh, I, I finished Blood, so Blood, which which we took ta- we reviewed yeah. last week, and I I think I, just to reiterate how great it was, I think um, uh, Sophie Petzl just did a brilliant job um, with that because it just twisted and turned, and it wasn't even sometimes it was just like a relationship drama, you know, like um like you'd you know and and the thriller element would would kind of fade into the back and then it'd be come back in again, but it just had an incredibly um, Resiliently compelling under 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 undercurrent of thriller, but loads and loads of brilliant stuff on top of that. Just about mm. the interrelationships with this unbelievably fucked up family, <laughs> um, and everyone in it just absolutely brilliant. You know, everyone perfectly cast. So I thought it, I thought I thought that was fantastic, and um, uh, f- loved finishing that. And I just want to mention really Shits Creek, which. Um, I've met, I have met. think I've mentioned it before and it's, it's season six which is the last season arrives on Netflix um, I think in about a week's time mm. and um, all five seasons are there at the moment and um, it's a show that when I first started watching it I was like I'm not sure I don't think it's that funny I don't think it's that great it's um, created by David Levy and his dad Eugene Levy and it's got Catherine O'Hara in it and it's got that kind of quality of those um, Christopher Guest films you know all the great Christopher Guest films mm. it's got it's that's the tone but slightly camper in a way and slightly more um sitcom-y and but the more you watch it the funnier it gets the more you love the characters I'm now deep into it, I'm like in in up to season three and I'm really loving it and it's a and it's perfect it to kind of take your mind off any misery you've got it's so kind of there's just something her brilliantly uplifting about it it's great Shit's am I the right Netflix? in
0: saying that this is one of those comedies that took a while to get good
1: yeah because I, I watched would say, the pilot yeah. of this and immediately yeah. was like no yeah I would say you could even skip season one start season two because season oh, okay. two is, is, a, is a lot better I think okay yeah. parks and recreation syndrome I get it yeah a bit yeah, yeah definitely and it gets better and better and better as it goes on Okay,
0: well, that is what we've been watching. Time now for a listener question. And this week's question comes from Adam Avery, who asks, if this current situation lasted for a whole year and you could only keep three shows on each streaming platform, what would they be? Now, obviously, this is kind of like, what are each of your three favourite shows on the various streaming platforms? But the way I've interpreted this is they have to be things that are ongoing. They can't be old things. Now, that's just the way oh. I've interpreted you. your mileage may vary, but that, that was my take on this.
1: Also, yeah, Autonomics. you've just decided that. You didn't tell yeah. us that before. Well, I
0: don't know. It just felt like if you're keeping three shows on each streaming platform, it just feels like, you know, it should be current stuff rather than what they've got. Because with Netflix, it's a little bit unpredictable. Is it Netflix this month? Is it Netflix last year when they had the rights to, you know, friends? So...
1: No, anyway, <laughs> well, who wants to go first? I've stuck to I, my interpretation was I thought i am just do my my interpretation was kind of like I've stuck to roughly things that premiered on these each of these platforms okay. rather than okay. old stuff. So I've, that's that's my kind of general justification. So I, my and mine are incredibly predictable. I haven't really thought that, but I just was honestly, these are genuinely my answers to the question. So Apple TV Plus, it's got to be servant. M. Night Shyamalan series, which I loved. And I actually, I did rewatch a few of those just to remind me how brilliant it was. And it's fucking <laughs> awesome. It's so meticulously directed. The atmosphere mm. is so brilliant in it that it, it, it. So all of these repay reviewing for me. Um, the Morning Show, which we all loved and got better and better and better. And I can't wait for the second season of that. Um, and Trying, which we reviewed last week. And I finished because um, I hadn't watched the final episode. The final episode is, is, is wonderful of Trying with uh, Rafe Spall uh, that we reviewed last week. Amazon Prime, I've gone for Transparent, which I think was their best thing for a long, long time. Um, and it, I hated the fun, the finale, the stupid feature-length finale they did, huh. the musical, which I thought was a terrible disgrace. But up until that point, all the rest of the series was really good. I know it's a bit weird watching it because the main star, um, you know, was part of the Me Too um, investigation and, um, you know, it all became very dodgy and unpleasant but the show itself was really really good an exploration of a trans woman who's you know an, an, a, a, a senior citizen who, who discovers that element to them or you know it is is suddenly lets that element come out and it's and it's also a study of a, a kind of Californian kooky Jewish family as well there's a whole thing about when they go to Israel etc. that was a brilliant series um, and I've gone for Homecoming which I loved which season 2 arrives soon and I loved that with Julia Roberts I thought that was brilliantly directed it was like a Brian De Palma tribute series Series, um, which is perfect for me and mr robot which i've got to go back to um, which all four seasons are on amazon and i think that's one of the best shows that we haven't really done much paid much attention to on this particular podcast so i'm going to watch that that's their and own netflix. fault
0: because they didn't show us the final season in time for us to yeah. review it <laughs> exactly
1: oh yeah it's totally their fault <laughs> and finally netflix better Call Saul, which we talked about last week Afterlife, just about winning over sex education. because so I think Afterlife I can watch again and again and again for, t- for the rest of time. And, of course, The OA. The OA. What more needs to be said? Oh, yes. Ah. I could rewatch The OA every few months for the rest of time. And somewhere in the multiverse, a Boyd Hilton is. Yeah. Terry, how about yours?
2: Okay, so I slightly changed the rules myself after shouting at you because I decided I don't want anything from Amazon Prime and I'm going to substitute... <laughs> amazon prime for the bbc iplayer because (laughs) i have watched more things on bbc iplayer in the last two months than i have pretty much in my entire life i've rinsed my license fee about 10 times over but we'll start with apple tv plus which i've only chosen two for by the way because i think only two are worthy of actually watching over and over again which are servant and the morning show um which obviously are also what boyd chose Netflix, I've just gone full rogue and gone anything on Netflix. It doesn't matter where it originated from or where it premiered. So Afterlife, um, Gavin and Stacey, which is now all on Netflix, and One of Us, which is a um, documentary feature film about... a Hasidic Jew community and a woman who leaves that community and what happens to her, her fight for her children. It's kind of a companion piece in some respects to um, Orthodox, unorthodox, sorry. And then um, on BBC iPlayer, you won't be surprised to hear that it's Line of Duty because I need to keep watching it for the rest of time. Normal people because of what we've just spoken about, um, but then also Killing Eve because I. Watch the third episode of Killing Eve. I'm not watching it. We get access to previews. I'm trying not to watch it like that. I'm trying to watch it episodically um, like it's being intended to be. We talked about how we were quite disappointed by the first couple of episodes and I felt really disappointed. The third episode for me is a real kind of return to form. Not completely, but it had so much more of the kind of um, set pieces and the writing and the surprises that we'd come to expect from it. So... I'm kind of back into Killing Eve now, and I'm excited for episode four this Sunday. Um, so those are my three from my player, and thank you, none from Amazon.
0: Wow, <laughs> poor Amazon. See, now I feel, oh, I almost want to redo everything, because for some reason, when we discussed this, I thought, well, okay, If you can only keep three shows on an ongoing basis, in my head, I just thought, oh, well, so this is going to be new stuff. Because otherwise, I'd be like, well, so then it's going to just be Sky slash Now TV so that I can have Game of Thrones and The Wire and all of that great HBO stuff. (laughs) Um, So, no, my interpretation of this is shows that are ongoing and new seasons and new episodes of which are coming. So nothing that has ended fell into
1: mine. I enjoy
2: your your deeply pragmatic approach to this massively hypothetical not real world question. (laughs)
1: Yeah well (laughs) I've taken it very specific reinterpretation by the way
0: Netflix for me it was sex education, The Last Kingdom and Star Trek Discovery. So these are for me the greatest things on Netflix that are currently ongoing. I will accept no substitutes. Uh, On Amazon and I had loads on Amazon, in fact I struggled to condense it to three on Amazon, Terry Um, Mm White. for me Amazon, obviously, at number one, The Expanse, and, and and also Picard. So, The Expanse and Picard are up there for number one. So, The Expanse, Picard, and then I had to pick between The Boys and Bosch, and I struggled with that and ultimately went with Bosch. So, Bosch is my third choice for Amazon. Disney Plus. Is something which is technically a streaming service, that neither of you have taken into account. Um, but they only have the Mandalorian, so really, you know. Wait
1: a minute, wait a minute. But the question was specifically about the, the other
2: oh, he said, I think
0: there were more exemplars, weren't they? I don't think it was being restricted <laughs>
2: streaming service, no fucking
1: man if you wanted also, to. It right?
2: says exemplars. <laughs> <laughs> to the point.
1: This question, you have completely <laughs> just rewritten the question. Anyway,
0: I've also included Sky Now TV. Uh, oh my and, god! Uh, what? For
2: I now, mean, TV just
0: streaming. Service, now TV streaming service and I because I wanted to put save me on there uh, and, I, and I couldn't really you're just a, naming the best shows ever yeah. now what's the
1: difference everything's no, on a streaming service because it's service. stuff
0: that's ongoing see this is why I felt I needed oh to my limit God. myself yeah, but that's
1: your that's not his question Yes,
2: you're also got limiting yourself I, at I'm all limiting
0: myself so this is amazing lines, I, I, it's kind of not technically ongoing is it like that's un, it's unclear whether that's coming back isn't it so I wasn't sure whether I yeah. could include that I mean you're just um, literally um, listing your favourite programme <laughs> so. no I am not
2: yes Boy, you are damn
0: it. we've always done and that again Game of Thrones will be on here and it isn't so that is and I hope defense.
2: everyone's enjoying this seven hour podcast by the way <laughs> yes
0: and Apple Apple, you're both wrong because yes servant and the morning show should be on there but neither of which don't measure up C. to the glory of C don't say C which don't is my say number C. one <laughs> Apple show <laughs> no no which I could I mean re-watch I'm not sure watch is the operative word but uh, I could re-experience um, yes C marvellous is no. this because
2: there's a person with it in one eye who masturbates
0: <laughs> I mean she doesn't have one eye. She's blind. I but um, uh, <laughs> as is everyone, except saying. for the kids and, you know, Jella Morel. But anyway, um, so, uh, yes, I think, I think, Adam, this should in some way have answered your question, I hoped. Uh, if you wish... To have your question addressed on the podcast, then please DM it to us at Pilot TV Mag on Twitter, or feel free to fling it at me directly. But if you're gonna do that, again, I strongly suggest you do it at some point on a Wednesday. Otherwise I will just forget about it by the time it's time to do the podcast. Um Right, shall we at this point move on to the world of news? And we should begin this week, I think, Terry, with some news about your favourite person and I think all of ours to a certain extent, Stephen Graham. Who it has been announced is joining Peaky Blinders season six. Hmm.
2: How is he not already in Peaky Blinders? You ask an that's, excellent question.
0: That's <laughs> yeah. like
2: the most obvious, brilliant bit of casting ever. I thought he was already in it and had been for a <laughs> long time. You just assumed
0: <laughs> he was a Peaky Blinder.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yes.
0: We don't know. Uh, we don't know what part he's playing, but he was. Uh, he, he's, I mean, he was set to 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 join it. Obviously, before production kind of halted, uh, and now he will be uh, picking up as soon as it comes off hold. So that's very exciting. Stephen Graham, Peaky Blinder.
2: Um, Can I mention the Fresh Prince reunion? Did we see this online? (laughs) I didn't see it. So Will Smith's got this online show called Will From Home um, and he got all of the cast pretty much back together (laughs) to have this reunion where they kind of shared memories and talked about specific things. But the loveliest bit was there's kind of a tribute to Uncle Phil, James Avery, who obviously um, is no longer with us. But it was so lovely. And, and obviously everybody's kind of doing these at-home things, some of which um, work better than others. Um, but I've just found it, you know, 13-year-old Terry was very much enjoying it and found it really touching and emotional. Boy, did you see any of that online, seeing as you're on the internet and James isn't?
1: I did see that I did see that it happened, yeah, but I haven't actually, yeah, I haven't watched it. But no, I'm excited by the prospect of it, yeah, completely, yeah. There's also the Pox and Rec reunion happened mm. as well this week. Mm. Indeed. Um, which A got COVID everyone- special. Yeah, which the American reviews have been amazing. Everyone's saying it was really nice and wonderful, and no confirmation if um, it's going to be shown here. So it's all on it's all on Sky Comedy, Pox and Wreck. I don't know if they if they've got the rights to show this new episode, but yeah. So where did it air in the states? Uh, on whichever channel normally shows it. Yeah,
0: so it wasn't it wasn't on, on on an online thing. It was specifically broadcast.
1: Yeah, I think it was broadcast. Yeah, I
0: believe. You gotta think but it's, it's going to come here. Not Surely sure. it'll come over here or go online somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would hope. Some other exciting news. Well, in my world, anyway, Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels are being adapted on <laughs> mass. So
2: I saw this. I saw this on the internet, and I was like, <laughs> "I am not going to talk about this," and I'm going to let James get very excited by this. Well,
0: the thing is, it's, it's a bittersweet thing. So there, there's a, a guards, a sort of city watch uh, series that's been in development for a while. Um, that's been that's been. Uh, I think it's an eight-part series that uh, that the BBC America has been doing. Um, so it's not. It's it's. This is about. I suppose all the stories other than that. But the thing is that Discworld has had a bit of a spotted history. Sky. I've done a few of them. They've done Hogfather and a couple of others. I think. Um. And they've been, shall we say, a bit hit and miss. And I think part of that. We talked about this in the Empire podcast a little bit. I think part of that is a budgetary issue because they feel a bit cheap. But I also think the problem with Discworld, and again, I've also talked about this on Empire, but I think the problem with Discworld is uh, what's good about them isn't the stories or really anything that easily translate to screen. What's good about them is the terriness of it, the the Pratchett narration with his footnotes and his particular quirky sense of humor, turns of phrase and observations that it's I, I can't really get my head around quite how you bring that to life on the screen. So while I, I think it's great that they're doing this and I hope they do a good job with it, I just wonder whether these are books that it's even possible to adapt because it's impossible to get that, you know, that narrator's voice that omnipresent narrator's voice in there. Um, but who knows, we'll see. It's being overseen by uh, Rihanna Pratchett, which is his daughter. So uh, I imagine that they will, be, they will be done faithfully and well, um, but we'll see. And no doubt will be another Good Omens thing where I'll love them and you two will hate them.
1: I liked <laughs> Good Omens in the end. Oh, did you? I, yeah, I, want, well, I think we yeah. all
2: kind of quite hang liked it, yeah. Hang
0: on, we're not yeah. retconning history here. I, I am firmly retconning. recall Terry White, the accused as describing it as insufferably smug, much like myself. <laughs> thereby thereby explaining in
1: your brain why I liked it.
2: I don't I don't remember saying that, but it sounds entirely like something <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> yeah i didn't like correct. the first
1: episode but I, I watched more of it and i liked it and i finished it and it was, it was <gasps> oh better.
2: yeah i didn't like it no it's terrible yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry i totally forgot i totally forgot <laughs> what channel
1: is doing these Discworld things by the way you
0: ask a good question oh. i don't know oh, okay. that we know i just no, know I they're,
2: yeah fine. i don't think it's
1: yeah i don't think they've announced that yeah i don't think they've announced that was on NBC, by the way okay, just, just okay. good yeah. to know um did you see the thing about um, Talking Heads, the Alan Bennett um, yeah. remake? I'm excited about this because Talking Heads, uh, Alan Bennett wrote these monologues um, in the 80s and 90s. He kind of did one series in the 80s and another series in the 90s and they were brilliant textbook Alan Bennett, observations of normal people living their lives, talking to camera, and they were absolutely amazing and I, I loved them and they're going to do a whole new lot um, with 10 of the originals remade and two new ones that he wrote last year. And the casting is incredible. she got Jodie Comer, Monica Dolan, Martin Freeman, Tamsin Gregg, Sarah Lancashire, Leslie Manville, Lucien Massamati, Maxine Peake, Roshenda Sandow, Kristen Scott Thomas, Imelda Staunton, Harriet Walter. So it's like an incredible um, array of brilliant people doing each one. Now I've seen so I'm excited about that, it's going to be on BBC soon, filmed obviously. It's kind of what completely makes sense to make these In social distancing times. I have seen people complaining about it online. A lot of actors, funny enough, I've I've, I've seen a lot of actors kind of complaining that, you know, this was a chance for the BBC to give these roles to young, up-and-coming people who need the money, blah, blah, blah. And I can see what they mean by that. But I have to say, for the viewer, from a viewer's point of view, I just feel you want to see these Alan Bennett things performed by these legendary actors. So I, I kind of, I think if I hadn't seen... Young actors complaining about it, and I completely see what, it. Must be frustrating for them. I, I'm very excited by this lineup of actors doing this material.
2: But why should it automatically be be kind of cast with young up and coming actors? I don't understand I,
1: that. I agree. I think they're just saying, you know this or even a chance to, to to cast less famous people I don't know it just, I just I see that frustration a lot from actors generally about stuff you know that you know and they were saying maybe you know at this point in time it was a, it was just a chance to do that I just don't think that's what this particular project is about you know and yeah yeah. I mean, I mean I'm all into things being commissioned and, like normal people finding him to do that role yeah. that's brilliant a complete newcomer who's fucking legendary in that role yeah but I think this this project needs these legendary people in it That's my feeling.
0: Did you see that Netflix have cancelled Turn Up Charlie after one
1: season? Uh, Not a great loss. That was terrible. Yeah, I didn't. I I did not enjoy (laughs) the camisette. I think that was one of the worst things we've ever reviewed on this show. Wow! Oh, that was awful. Yeah. Boyd
2: going big. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Scorched Earth. Couldn't stand it. What else is happening? Alex Kurtzman of uh, Star Trek fame is adapting a book called The Girl Who Could Move Shit with Her Mind which I would imagine is kind of self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> specifically shit. It's not a lot of... Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, like, fecokinesis. I don't think it's specifically that. I think she can move all sorts of things. Um, but it's based on a novel, uh, and the main character is called Tegan Frost, who sounds like some kind of secret agent. But anyway, she's, uh, she's, uh, she has telekinetic powers, and the govern- government capitalises on that by sending her on missions that no ordinary person could
1: do. If they've got any sense, they'll rename it to Fecal Kinesis, though, which is a much better title. <laughs> oh, my God.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. Um,
0: okay, super. That was news. Uh, no, one minute. Oh, one wait, a minute.
1: there's more news. T- two more things, quickly. Netflix is reviving Borgen, you know, the, which was a brilliant Danish political thriller series. Yes, yes, series. be
0: very good.
1: W- yeah, with Sidsa Babek Knudsen. So they're doing a full series of that. Which will go out in 2022, which is very exciting if you're a fan of Borgan. And they're, oh, they're showing all the other series. But also, I know that this is not this is not traditional pilot TV podcast territory, but I have to mention the greatest commission of recent years, which is the monkey tennis of our times. So have you heard about this show? Channel four has commissioned a show called Snoop Dogs. Which is basically through the keyhole. It's it, cameras will go into famous people's homes and film around them, and we have to guess who who the famous, which the famous owner is of the homes, and it's all being filmed on GoPro cameras attached to their dogs.
2: But that is literally through the keyhole with dogs.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like filmed the, by the dogs
2: through the dog hole.
1: Through the dog hole, aka Snoop Dogs. It's oh coming to God. Channel Four soon.
2: That is Monkey Tennis. If this was on Netflix
0: yeah. not Channel 4 it would have just been Snoop dogging and have a very different
1: kind of narrative
2: thrust.
0: that <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But hey ho. Um, okay, great. Any other dog related news you'd like to share? No,
1: I had to get that I had to mention
2: that. I really song. want to watch that though.
1: Yeah, same. Snoop. Yeah. Dogs
0: fucking hell Amazing. okay super now on to this week's reviews and first up this week we have netflix's the eddie Uh, this is a story of elliot udo a jazz musician and owner of a failing jazz club in paris written by jack thorne and directed by damien chazelle it's in a mixture of french and english and will very much make you wish you could play the piano terry did this strike the right note with you
2: oh i thought you were gonna make a tinkle my ivories <laughs> i beg your pardon young, but <laughs> <laughs> this is
0: not I'm, that I'm, kind of podcast terry
2: <laughs> can't believe you let that one bash you by um so right you hear damien chazelle you hear jazz, you hear Paris, um, and you probably have things in your mind that this show is definitely not. So it's not the cin- cinematic landscape of Paris. There's not all cafes and white people drinking wine by the Eiffel Tower and glamour and glitz. It's it's dark and it's gritty and it's kind of brutal there's no kind of sweeping vistas of la la land it's it's handheld which really kind of sets the tone i think for this show it's really kind of frantic and chaotic almost documentary style um and as you say it centers around this jazz club the eddie andre holland is the club owner co-owner who's this piano legend who used to live in new york who'd fled to paris after some kind of unnamed tragedy um it becomes clear his club is in massive financial trouble and his co-owner, Farid, played by Taha Rahim, has become involved with this local crime outfit. Now, there's this massive kind of multicultural assorted of cast of other characters, because um, this is a really different view of Paris than we've seen before. There's a lot of focus on North African communities. It's a, a really interesting representation, I think, of, of what modern day Paris is. Um, now, when it comes to the other characters, we have to kind of, I think, call out Amanda Stenberg who plays his daughter, his 16-year-old daughter who pitches up in New York has been dispatched there because she's clearly a massive fucking handful, um, which she is. and But she is remarkable. And, and, you know, she's done a couple of films, but she's still incredibly young but she really comes into her own in episode two. I've seen the first two, each one focuses on a different character. Um, and episode two for me is fantastic, which really focuses around her and kind of, she starts to unravel a little bit when she arrives in the city to, to live with her dad. Um, the other main character really is the songs. And, and it was actually the whole thing reverse engineered from these set of songs by producer, Glenn Ballard, who did Jagged, Jagged Little Pill and Man in the Mirror. Um, which may not seem like the most natural fit for a whole new load of jazz classics. Um, but it's clear that the whole thing kind of centers around this. You know, the whole thing opens on this five minute one shot, which takes you from the back room of the club right through into this incredible performance that's happening. Um And sometimes I suppose my one criticism of it would be sometimes it feels like some of the storytelling is coming second to some of these incredible musical set pieces, which are great, but there is a huge focus on them. Um, I mean, the filmmaking team is extraordinary. As you mentioned, Damien Chazelle, he exec produces, he directs the first two episodes. It's all written or co-written by Jack Thorne, who we talk about a lot on this podcast, Virtues, His Dark Materials, This Is England. Um, and I've seen some criticisms of it online for being too dour. And I think <laughs> that's like, I mean, it is. It's like, it's not an easy watch at times. It's kind of, it is, it, it's is. It—it's not, there's not much fun, right? You go, as I said earlier, you go jazz, you go parish, you're expecting this kind of jaunty kind of, its it's not that. And I think that's going to be the biggest shift for people is that's not what you're getting. But I really enjoyed it. There's this kind of, fantasy fantasy family drama rubbing up against this kind of thriller crime story going on in the background um i'm really interested to see how it unfolds because it does focus on a different character each episode and i think you probably do have to see it as an entire piece um but i'm gonna keep going with this one because as i say the first episode is quite a scene setter there is a a a big kind of twist in the middle which we won't spoil um, but for me it really starts to get into the interesting character work in the second episode um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what the rest of them bring afterwards
0: mm, it's not a lull fest I'll certainly, I'll certainly no, give you that not a fest. Uh, what I particularly enjoy about this is because it's not uh, because in English and French it has compulsory subtitles on the screen but they're essentially hard of hearing subtitles so you have wonderful subtitles like mid-tempo funky rhythm <laughs> will come up and you're like oh thank you thank you for that very specific bit of subtitling um, and so so the, the ones to accompany the music I find are, are just... They're beautifully, beautifully specific. Yeah, but it, this is not what I thought it would be at all. No. And uh, it took me by surprise. I, I enjoyed it a lot more. I found it a lot more compelling than I thought I would. Um, it's really well written. It's really well acted. Andre Holland is great in this. And... Um, and I found myself being drawn into this world but also I should bet the music is amazing and just when you see him sort of tinkering around on the piano I don't, and obviously it helps if you like jazz but absolutely beautiful and there's just there are just scenes a couple of them where he's just noodling around with the keyboard and then someone will do a bit of vocals someone will whip out a trumpet and it's a bit like this is great um, you can understand how people might want to spend their days just like jazzing out on this um, so yeah it felt and it was it was exactly exactly what you said it's, just, it, it's not the Paris that we're used seeing on screen. It was a kind of grubby back alley Paris. Uh, and it wasn't uh it wasn't glitzy or glamorous or or beautiful. But yeah, I I, I I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this a lot.
1: Well, I um I had a weird experience with this because I watched um the first episode quite a long time ago um for for pilot TV magazine purposes and I couldn't I actually found it quite difficult to to get along with it. I mean I am not a jazz person, I have to say I fucking hate jazz, right? Yeah, I get, I get, I mean, yeah.
0: We may <laughs> have <laughs> hit upon the problem here boy.
1: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to give it a go. There is a lot of jazz in it. Um, so really this is bit. not enough dubstep. That's- <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the Can scenes where jazz. a lot of jazz, a hell of a lot of jazz. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to, because I, I love Jack Thorne. And I like, you know, James is obviously a huge talent, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Great cast. I thought I've got to carry on. Then I watched the second episode much more recently, and the second episode is is fantastic, I thought. And because of her, the, the teenage daughter, Amanda Stenberg, is fantastic. And, it's, and, and there are moments of levity more, I think, in that second episode when she meets this young guy who's brilliant as well, this really likeable... Um, guy who 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 um, delivers sandwiches to offices um, and I thought that was great because we have a sandwich person coming around <laughs> oh no he sells um he sells um brownies in our office when we used to have an office yeah. to go it's to the brownie man. and he reminded me of him I thought it was really quite well observed little thing that you know what is the kind of person who, who's decided to deliver, deliver their own food to offices anyway I thought episode two was fantastic and so now I'm in and even, and, and there are scenes, like there's a scene in the second episode where they're doing a bit of jazz and he gets frustrated and they all start arguing about the jazz. And I'm like, hmm, I'm still don't necessarily, that's just not for me. But I really like the characters. And I really like, and the way it's done, the, the realism of it, the authenticity of it is incredible, isn't it? It's, it's like handheld 16 yeah. millimeter. And of course, um, Damon Chazelle's first film the drumming one. What was that called?
2: Um, Whiplash.
1: Whiplash. Thank you. It's more like that, isn't it? Like people forget because La La Land is such a big thing, which I didn't really like La La Land either. <laughs> this is more Whiplash than La La Land, and I think Whiplash was a great film, and that it's got that authenticity, and it feels like it's immersed in this world, and it feels completely real, and yet you know the drama of it is obviously brilliantly brilliantly written by Jack Thorne. So yeah, I'm 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 in despite my jazz hatred.
0: Disparaging La La Land is a capital offence in Terryland. Just be aware I know. of that. <laughs> Uh oh, I can't stop. what the it.
2: fuck Boyd sorry she's got no soul sorry. Boyd
0: La La Land is great no, I have I just
1: didn't like that thing oh fair enough one oh, from the
0: heart you
2: know
1: Francis Ford Coppola's one from that. heart that's the film that La La Land without wanting to be a twat is trying to be oh, I much prefer city
2: that city of stars are shining there for you oh, I felt like
0: I was how there for a second how does that not
2: fill your heart yes
0: mm. the way you sing it it's <laughs> extraordinary <laughs> Yes, indeed. All right, fine. So depending on whether or not you prefer jazz or dubstep may in fact determine whether or not you like the Eddie, but the Eddie does in fact land on Netflix on Friday the 8th of May. Next up this week is Ryan Murphy's Hollywood, which actually dropped on Netflix last week, but which we were unable to review due to a tricky embargo. However, far bit from us to let a show like this pass us by, so our belated review arrives in your ears now instead. This follows a group of aspiring actors trying to make it big in 1940s Hollywood. So... Let's hear what Boyd has to say about it in Boydy Goes to Hollywood.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, This is another really weird one. So um, I watched the first two of these uh, a while ago as well. Um, And... I, I thought I, I rather liked them. I thought, you know, this is um, Ryan Murphy and his, his um, collaborator Ian Brennan um, working on in a kind of like in the same world as Feud, um, their their series about Betty D- Bet Davis and Joan Crawford, which I loved. That was a fantastic um, series, looking behind the glitz and the glamour of Hollywood, showing you these iconic stars how bitter and twisted they were. And the first two episodes of this series, which is set in post-war Hollywood period in the golden age, and it's doing that, it's taking you behind the scenes of the glitz and the glamour. It's showing you that there was this, um, essentially this gigolo rent boy prostitution racket run out of a um, gas station in Hollywood where people used to go, so rich wives of Hollywood studio bosses would go there to pick up young men and have sex with them and pay for it gay guys would meet via this system as well um and it, and this is all, all happened this is all true By this did happen that there was a um, a, a, a gigolo rent boy gas station place in hollywood in the 50s and 60s incredibly um it shows you the kind of abusive exploitation of young stars by um by the people in power, um, which was really interesting. Um, and again, obviously happened. Jim Parsons plays this agent, a real life agent um, to the stars, who was Rock Hudson's agent, who who literally is you know, forcing them to um, give him oral sex, basically, in return for taking them on as his clients. And all of this, I'm thinking, this is fan- fascinating. This is really interesting. Um, you know, I love this stuff about behind the scenes Hollywood. Then, uh, once you, I've, so I've now watched six of the seven episodes, suddenly, it becomes clear that the agenda of the premise of this whole thing is actually that what would have ha- what would happen if we imagined that this group of young, talented, um, ethnic minority, Jewish, gay people didn't have to face, so overcame the bigotry, the inherent sexism, racism, homophobia of that time, and became successful and got to do creatively what they wanted to do, and somehow bypass all the nastiness and horribleness and bigotry that obviously existed, um, and became successful. So it's basically it's an alternate history, is what it is. But by stealth, because you, that's not really clear until you get into third, fourth, fifth episodes, but then you're in this really weird situation of it's got real loads of real historic characters. George Kukor's part, famous gay orgy parties, pool parties, crop up in episode three. They really happened, by the way. And then you've got other thing, people that didn't, things that didn't happen. So then you're, I'm constantly trying to work out what was real, what wasn't real, why were there maybe a black writer writer who was trying to come up with a, a biography of the woman who threw herself off the Hollywood sign and you're, you're like it's so confusing as to what really isn't that in in the end you just have to kind of give up but I have to say it becomes less and less interesting the more the fantasy it is a fantasy element um, comes through in these later episodes so there's still brilliant moments like um, you know there's it, it, the characters based on you know people in Gone with the Wind, and there's amazing moments. There's like camp moments that you'd expect about this ridiculousness of Hollywood. It's beautifully done. The costumes and hair and the the depiction of this era is fantastic. It's incredibly well filmed and all of that. But it gets weird and like pointless. I think to the whole and it what's weird about it is it's doing alternate history in the same way that you know once upon a time in Hollywood. Ends up changing history for a very specific reason, and why you know the same. You get alternate histories in science fiction shows like *The Man in the High Castle*, but unlike those, which have very specific points to make and are are very clear, it's very clear for everyone involved what did or didn't happen. This is very murky and confusing. I found it anyway, and and it's making a rather clear point in the end about this prejudice that existed. And I would just rather have seen a drama about those people, about George Kukor, Kukor's weird parties and the exploitative agent and what that meant and how that was dealt with, than this thing, which is a weird hybrid thing that just doesn't, in the end, just doesn't really come together and work.
0: It's strange, isn't it? I, I It took me, I had to read around to figure out that it was Northern History because it's not really right. pitched as one. It's not, no, that's not, attention isn't drawn to that. I didn't. I didn't know quite what to make of this because the tone is, very bizarre like it's really whimsical and heightened and it has an almost sort of dreamlike quality to it it has a, it's not quite surreal but it feels sort of hyper real it's it's very very strange uh, it almost feels like you're watching like an old sort of almost like 1940s production just in the way that it's that heightened reality and its heightened performances mm. um and the first episode largely revolves around a bunch of gigolos working at a gas station, which, again, not necessarily something I was entirely expecting. But I found it strangely compelling. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know what to expect for, it, and it wasn't even yeah. quite sure what it was trying to do. But I couldn't quite tear my eyes off it either. Um, it's a really, really strange one.
1: It is bizarre, I agree. I, I, I'm i carrying on watching it, and I will finish it, seven episodes. But I just find it frustrating. And I, and I, and I kind of... I don't want to be those critics who kind of tell creative people what they should have done with something do you know what I mean that is a, an, almost an intrinsically stupid thing to do who am I to tell Ryan Murphy that he's fucked this up and he should have just you know done what he did with you but I do feel that way I'm sorry I just feel and I feel like someone at some point should have just gone, yeah, but why don't you just show us this drama about all these real-life people and what really they were like and what really happened? Because that's, int- that's fascinating. I just didn't need the the alternate history element of it.
2: But isn't not that isn't that kind of the essence of the problem with creators doing things like Netflix, for example, where there's a lot of talk given about how the likes of Netflix and Amazon Prime, they don't interfere in the way that traditional networks have interfered. But this struck me as something where somebody from a network could have given some really good notes <laughs> and said, yeah. or oh, maybe this this premise doesn't really work or this bit doesn't. I mean, I th- the problem I had was I really enjoyed Feud as well, but that was because that had kind of edge and bite and something to say. And even in the first two episodes where it's kind of meant to be sketching out this structural inequality, you know, this kind of dark underbelly of what really went on in Hollywood. It, it kind of was done in such a whimsical way, as, j- as James said about the tome, that you don't really feel like, even though it's it's patently unfair, you don't feel like anyone's getting harmed by mm. it. You know, the gigolos are kind of are, are running around like the guy who and he goes and sleeps with a woman for the first time. He's married. He's got, you know, a baby yeah. on the way. And he's like, oh yeah, she was super kind. She was really nice. And there's no sense of there being, mm. you know, they, they enjoy it. They get paid well. There's no sense of there being a, a angst or a... Um, they're being pressure, which really kind of harms them in any way, or they're doing anything which harms them in any way. It's all done with such an air of um, triviality, almost, that you don't get the sense of this inequality yeah. that they're talking about and this oppression of certain groups and the str- and the real things that went on in Hollywood. Um, which just made it really odd for me, those first two episodes. You know what
0: really weirdly it brought to mind to me? You know that scene in Natural Born Killers where you see it's the Juliette Lewis being abused by her father scene and it's shot as a sitcom with like a laugh track. Mm. And again, it's taking Mm. something really seedy and sort of slightly unpleasant and presenting it with levity so that the actual impact of it is, is lessened deliberately mm-hmm. and with this I had the same sort of thing you, you talk about you know the inequality there's a there's a scene in a sex cinema which you would have thought could have seemed a little bit seedy and, and especially you know I won't go to the details of how he gets in there but you know there's a lot going on there but actually it's really peppy it's really upbeat everyone's in a super good mood like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's almost it's almost a bit like la la land where you expect at some point one of them to just burst into a choreographed piece of music and start tap dancing across the screen it's it's very very strange
1: it yeah, is weird, it uh, is you, weird. I, I agree with exactly everything you said you're right it is weirdly um light it's got a light thing going on which i think it has to have almost because when the when these young things, these these talented young things who obviously would never have actually made it in real Hollywood, start becoming successful and their dreams are becoming true, that is lovely and light and, and, and so. Then when the dark things happen, actually there are some scenes, with, particularly with Jim Parsons' character, the really he is horrible. He is a nasty piece of work, and what he, and there are moments where you're like, oh okay, and Pete, where where what he's doing. Is 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 more meticulously dissected, and it is and that is and tonally those scenes are are dark, are properly dark and horrible, and and you're like you're feeling for his victims and how do they get themselves out of it? But then it jumps to oh it's all going to be lovely in the end, we'll all overcome it, and in the end even he does stuff that helps. It's it's just fucked up. <laughs> and yeah, I'm enjoying it. I, I so it's I'm confused by my, you know by my reaction to it because I mean I definitely finished watching it because it's got certain moments. That are so great. There's a scene with Tallulah Bankhead and Hattie McDaniel. Hattie McDaniel won the Oscar for Gone with the Wind, Mm. which I won't spoil in like episode four. I think is that's hilarious. It's brilliant. It's like just seeing that again. I go back to just give us more of that, not this whole other thing going on.
2: But it almost can't decide if it's a drama or if it's a satire or if it's and and it flips between the two. And I can't decide what it would be better as because when you've got like Dylan McDermott and Patty Lapone who fully commit to these kind mm. of outlandish OTT roles as essentially a pimp and a wife of a studio boss, that they kind of really resonate. But for yep. example, David Corensweat plays Jack Costello, who's this kind of wannabe leading man who's kind of beautiful and full of charisma, but he's a complete blank. And then I'm like, Mm. is he meant to be blank? Is that deliberate? Because Hollywood enjoys young men who are blank pages. But as viewers, I wanted more of a backstory, like make me care about these characters, even if essentially you're commenting on kind of how disposable everyone is in Hollywood or how superficial the entire thing is. If that is what you're doing, I still need a backstory to buy into that. But I think- the, the point really was that I wasn't sure what I was meant to be getting from it or what that was meant to be saying or what the overall point was of any of it really because it all felt so muddled and confused. Mm. I don't think everything has to have a message but I think your intentions have to be clear and what people are meant to get from it. it has to be clear to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, and you're right. They, all the main characters are blanks, I think. All of them. All of the young, the core group mm. who come together to make this film, basically. There's like four, They're all... Uninteresting, I have to say. But the surrounding, supporting, and funnily enough, the series itself for long periods of time kind of drops those guys in favour of the much more interesting older. So there's like at one point, Mira Salvino who has a very famous history with um, with um, Harvey Weinstein, has a brilliant scene with two older women who have ended up in positions of power almost accidentally. And that scene, I was like, this is fucking great, and you'll see it if you carry on watching it. And, it, and like, it almost like the series itself loses interest in those boring, blank young characters like like Jack, the, the main guy, or riot, and just realises that it's much more interesting that the texture of the real people, the real Hollywood legends, is much much more interesting than these other people. It's so it's such a weird viewing experience.
0: Well, make of that what you will, but that is Hollywood, and it is available on Netflix now. Next up, we have season two of. Brassic. Joe Gilgan and Danny Brocklehurst show about Gilgan's Vinny and his band of Scallies as they commit petty crimes with zero degrees of competence while trying to make ends meet. Terry, you will recall, perhaps with very little shock, loved this when it first aired on Sky (laughs) last years. But Terry, does Vinny still have a place in your heart?
2: I still fucking love this. Like, let's just cut to the chase (laughs) and not dilly-dally. But you know, we were talking about Sky comedy shows last week um, when we reviewed Code 404 which I think none of us really loved or really thought um, hit the mark. Now, this is an example of when they really get it right. I think it was um, their biggest, Sky Comedy's biggest launch to date. I think it got almost 3 million viewers for season one, which is kind of incredible. I think it's a large part down to the idea, you know, we talk a lot about authenticity and authenticity, I think, is a word that's bandied around quite a lot, especially in, tell you these days what this really is. And it's a large part down to the idea, which is just Joel Gilgan has created this gang of people in this place. And it's unlike anything you've really seen on telly before. So people compare it to Shameless, but it's really different. It's kind of a caper comedy. And this group of working class friends revolving around Gilgan's character, Vinny, and this life of kind of, you know, on the edges of the law mayhem that they um, exist in, in this kind of suburban place in the north of England, is just so compelling and so real, but also so joyful. And that's what I love about it. This is not a miserable northern kind of, you know, he does have bipolar. They're all skint, They talk about the lack of opportunity, but... The brilliant thing about this, and I think it's down to the writing, really, you know, him and, as you say, Danny Brocklehurst, who's one of the great legendary British telly writers, this world that they create, you know, there's there's such joy and intimacy and connection between this group of people who are all kind of types and absurd there's like a traveler there's tomo the local perv with like a basement um, that you really wouldn't want to go down into <laughs> michelle keegan is this single mother with ambition and a heart um but it's the detail in these uh, kind of s- s- scenes he- they sketch between them You know, they make each other laugh more than anyone else in the world. They trust each other with their lives. They absolutely rinse each other like no one else this kind of beautiful gang of people who you just want to be part of and would love to hang out with. Um, so you join them about a year later and, and Vinny at the end of the last season um, was on the run from a local gangster and was uh, now hiding out in this shed, just smoking weed and pissing in a bottle, as he puts it. Um, and it's faked his own death essentially and is lured out by this new scam, this new plan, which revolves around a lion and them attempting to rob a traveling circus. I mean, there's a scene <laughs> in a phone box (laughs) where they're trying to like essentially do a hostage call for a lion. That was so simple and so stupid, but had me absolutely cracking up. And what I love about the second season is it feels to me like there's a little bit more ambition. Everything feels a bit bigger and a bit bolder there's some really great set pieces there's an opening set piece where he's escaping from this guy he's basically on the run from a guy and he's like running down a ginnel and kind of falling over somebody on a mobility scope scooter it's all brilliantly kind of um small and northern um and there's a whole bit with a circus but it still has that same heart, the writing. it's still really funny. Dominic West, as his terribly <laughs> self-obsessed, dysfunctional GP who he sees for his bipolar condition, is just still an absolute joy. You know, he spent the most of the episodes in the first season on Tinder, and he spent most of this first episode doing an impression of an emotional support dog, <laughs> which was one of the funniest things I've seen in ages. I mean, I, I watched the first episode and I am, I am fully back in. I think it's got the heart, the pathos, the brilliant writing and all the chemistry of the first season.
1: Yes, I absolutely love it as well. I think it's just the, t- it's just the mood of, of Brassic. Um, it remind you. You said it's a, it is a caper, isn't it? It's an out and out, and every episode is a is a caper on you know with the long running characters finding new ways, new ridiculous schemes and scams and escapades. It reminds me of like you know yeah like Steven Soderbergh is brilliant at doing these, isn't he? Like you know the Ocean's films with like incredible characters doing capers, um, and Logan Lucky, which was like more working class characters doing coming up with a ridiculous caper. It's got that. It's just really enjoyable, entertaining tone to it and you love being with these characters they're all incredibly funny and the scripts are brilliant there's like proper funny lines of dialogue every few minutes there's another really funny line of dialogue um i think it's great and my my mvp i think the secret My my favourite character is Ryan Sampson's Tomo. I think Tomo is so weird and funny and bizarre. And Ryan Sampson is brilliant. I love him. He was in Plebs for years and years and years. um, And um, he's a really funny actor. He's brilliant. He's an absolutely unique performer. And I think he's fantastic. It's just the casting of it and having Dominic West pop up. It's just... Really, really great show. Yeah, I love
0: it. See, it's, funny enough, I don't remember quite what I thought of season one. I seem to recall not particularly liking it. Uh, although I don't remember exactly how much I didn't like it. So I was slightly dreading this and going into this, all I could have in my head was what was that? I've even forgotten the name of it. What was that show that I hated about those two Those two boys?
1: Oh, and the young um, offenders. Yeah, the shit dairy Girls.
0: Uh, that one, yeah. I like, hated that. And I thought, God, just give me all these fucking things. And I, and I was like, it's a fucking hour long. Like, Christ. Like, I was not happy going into this. And yet... And yet, thoroughly enjoyed myself. And much more so, I think, than I enjoyed the only episode I saw, which was the very first one, of season one. And I think, what, because you know how I don't like stupid comedy. Like, I don't like stupid characters being stupid. I find that quite irritating. <laughs> and yet, they're all so massively likeable. And yeah. it's really tightly written. Like, it's just like, some of the dialogue, some of the, the gags are really genuinely funny. And also delivered perfectly. Uh, like, the bit with, <laughs> about whether or not it's a racist lion that genuinely made me laugh out loud uh which are, i like the little you talked about the phone box sort of taken riff that's oh. loads of fun there's a the thing about cleaners which again i thought was fucking hilarious um and i think they're just they are they're a really likable bunch of twats to be honest and you just go with it and of course they're trying to rip off a circus and at no point do you get annoyed with the, just the stupidity of their plan you just go along with it because it's so much fun um yes this makes me actually want to watch this show which i did it's something <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really see coming. So uh, I might actually do that. And I seem to recall, and I, tell me if I'm wrong, I detected on the soundtrack a hillbilly cover of Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, which really kind of threw me. Yeah, the that, music that, is that, great, by yeah, the way. Music the music is yeah, good. Yeah, the music
2: is great. But you can tell the material has been worked and worked mm. and worked. You know how we were kind of talking about Code 404 last week and, mm, and it yeah. didn't feel like it had been worked to that degree. This, it feels like it's so tight and every line lands and every line is so deliberate and you you just sense that it's been like gone over and over and over and over and that's that i mean i think that's what makes the writing so exceptional there's no lazy jokes in Mm. here at all
0: i i still i'm not a hundred percent sure that you know those sort of like full length runtime taking up a whole hour with ads types type shows uh, sometimes with sitcoms i think it slightly labors it weirdly with this one, like because when i went into this i thought why is this not half an hour it makes no sense to me that this is not half an hour and yet uh, like, it wasn't boring there wasn't any fat on this that i think you really could have cut so actually it works at this length which i think very few of these especially silly comedies do work so i mean certainly for my particular sensibilities i find that you cannot sustain my attention for that period of time with silly content and yet they managed it here so high praise indeed from me is what i'm saying silly content i love the
1: <laughs> silly All content. That silly
0: content All that silly content oh that's silly content your silly characters I, doing their I, silly things
1: i think it isn't just a sitcom though it is it is like there is a tradition of kind of hour long I you know, like minder was an hour long show mm. that was trying to be funny most of the time and i think so there is there is it's kind of like halfway between you know only fools and horses and minder and mm. i think the 45 minutes It's fine i think it works i think it sustains and down to the writing it sustains that length of episode pretty much i think
0: i remember i struggled with green wing for that reason because that i just thought again i thought that just felt so long for me i was like this is just this is stupidity over a long period of time 20 minutes sure but once you're hitting 50 i'm like no but yeah this 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 works Brassic sky one thursday may the 7th at 10 p.m boyd would you like to run us through the also outs
1: Yeah, um, I want to mention particularly the A-team, which is... uh, The A-word, surely. Sorry. The
0: The A-team, which in a surprise comeback, B.A., Hannibal,
1: and Murdoch. Amazing, amazing. I want to mention the A word, <laughs> which is coming back for its third series. And I think it took a while. This is the show written by um, Peter Balker, who did that um, war drama last year that we really liked World on Fire. Um, mm. This is his show about um, a young autistic boy. He's now 10, played by Max Vento. And it's about his parents, played by Morvan Christian Lee Ingleby. And it's kind of about bringing him up and, the, and what, you know, the, the issues surrounding that. And, um, uh that her dad played by christopher eccleston is like he's a kind of very uh, kind of blundering um forthright kind of disdainful very funny character it's um it's a really underrated i think slightly um, slightly undervalued show. I mean, it's got it's got a big fan base but i think probably the bbc nearly axed it after two series thankfully it's back i think probably largely for word of mouth kind of um people clamoring for their bit in that for there to be another series. It's full of brilliantly drawn characters. In a way, actually, tonally, it's not 100% dissimilar from Brassic, because it is working class people who are funny and likeable and real, and to use that fucking word, authentic. Um, And it's got... uh, And it's really, really well written by Peter Balker. Again, it's really finely honed. The dialogue is finely honed. And Christopher Eccleston is fucking amazing in it. I think it's his best role you know i don't know for, for a long for a long time and he's brilliant so i really like uh, the a word and it's on tuesday i believe bbc one at nine o'clock and i think they're putting the whole series out all six episodes in a box set as well it is indeed on may the 5th yeah
0: yeah the new season of rick and morty drops on e4 on thursday at 10 p.m obviously i loathe that show so cannot recommend it but lots and lots of people love it
1: and then on the same night, that's going to double bill with Harley Quinn, which is yeah, the, animated, the animated show, mm. animated show which has got good reviews in America.
0: Yeah, which starts at 10.30. Yeah. Uh, Outlander, having been on Amazon, turns up on More 4 on Thursday as well at 9pm. So lots going on on Thursday. Yeah. That's about it, isn't it?
1: Uh, oh, and there's these isolation stories, actually, which will be interesting on ITV starting on Monday. These are 15-minute um, films about... The social distancing lockdown situation, written by Jeff Pope, um, who's like the you know the master of the real life crime drama, etc. He wrote Philomena and um, there's Sheridan Smith in it, Robert Glenister, David Threlfall. They're going to really, and they're on primetime ITV, just fifteen minute shorts. I think they'll be really interesting. Um, and Dead to Me season two is starts on Netflix on Friday, which a lot of people really love. Dead to Me, I've never never really got into it, but there you go. Do we have a pick of the week? Um, Brassic. Yeah, Brassic.
0: Yes, we have consensus. <laughs> Who'd, have thought? Who'd have thought a unanimous vote for Brassic? Uh, so yes, do watch that one. Before we go, a quick banshee, I feel. A quick look back at the archives of shows from the past. Um, who would like to kick off this week,
1: Boyd? <laughs> okay, uh, I've gone for 13. Which is the drama that first brought Jodie Comer first brought Jodie Comer to the world of television? Um, did famously. I batch
2: you
1: this? Did you? It's not. I checked the um, the thing file. It wasn't the on the spreadsheet. There. It was on the spreadsheet. spreadsheet. Oh no!
2: Yeah. I, I did. Um, I did it as a, what we were watching this week because I found uh, it on you? iPlayer, oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. C- continue. Okay. No, continue.
1: Continue. Okay um yeah 13 jodie the thing that brought jodie Comer to this world. i think um uh terry mentioned it ages ago as a thing you've been watching <laughs> but i'm bansheeing it because it's been a long time and it's on bbc i along with load, they put loads of box sets of really good shows on i so all the episodes are on there and it was an absolutely brilliant written by marnie dickens and it was all about she played um, a 26 year old who'd been imprisoned in a cellar for 13 years um and she and and she comes out the first episode she's she's rescued and then it's all about what happened who was the captor how does her family deal with it who what happened to the person she was in love with her sister doesn't necessarily think it's her and wants her to take a blood test and all of that, all the complications of what that would mean of the situation where you're held captive for all that that length of time in this horrendous traumatic situation it was Honestly, it was a fantastically well-written and acted and directed series, and it's all on iPlayer. Thirteen.
0: I've never seen that. I would quite like to watch it. Quite like
2: to.
1: You want credit? Mm, okay. Good.
0: Good. Good. Thirteen. Then from Boyd, Terry. What number do you have?
2: <laughs> well, I'm going to irritate you by um banching a one-off feature-length documentary.
0: Whoa i know hang on hang on hang on rule breaker. i smell a film
2: (laughs) no it's not a film it's a definite tv documentary Mm. um it's called rain in my heart um boyd will remember this it was a 2006 documentary um by paul watson who was a documentary maker who essentially was credited with inventing the fly on the wall documentary he did something called the family in 1974 the fishing party in 1984, which was seen as kind of the the very first examples of not reality television, but a documentary telling a very real story, a private story in a very real way. So, raining in my heart, and I think it was actually chosen by Louis Theroux. He did a curated series on on BBC and on iPlayer at one point. And he chose this as one of his documentaries. So it follows um, four alcoholics over the course of a year. They're all, they all live in the same place in North Kent and it kind of follows their personal struggles. Um, they're in and out of hospital, their relationships with their families, but also it kind of talks as much, I suppose, about these personal tragedies as it does about public health policy. Um, and those kinds of things. Massively affecting documentary. It is a TV documentary. It's not a film, James Dyer. Um, huh. So if you haven't seen it, it has been surfaced on iPlayer um, and it should be in the documentary section and it is well worth your time. I think it's 90 minutes or 104 minutes. or It's long. It's like a long thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> see I was hoping that you'd have a number one and then I because I, I suddenly thought oh god what could I do and then I suddenly thought because I'd prepared a different one but I thought maybe I should do six because that's another numbered show to follow on from Boyd's 13 and do six do you ever see and six and
2: then I ruined it
0: you ruined yeah. it yeah but I hadn't it's planned really. to do six what but was six
1: I, remind me what six was six was uh,
0: it was a it was about seal team six had Walton Goggins and uh, it was about Navy yeah. Seals I think yeah. Olivia Munn joined him for the second season It ran for two seasons bear in mind I haven't this isn't my banshee so I'm just kind of winging this um as I recall, this is the f- first ones. Of these were directed by Leslie Linkerglatter, who... Famously from, from Homeland. Um, I, I enjoyed this. I only watched the first season. I didn't watch the second season of this, although it's on my to-watch list. Uh, so that's the one that Olivia Munn is in. And there but, was The um,
1: Five as well, which was um, yes. the first Harlan Coburn. The Harlan Coben one. Yeah. one, yeah. See,
0: if we'd coordinated, guys,
1: this going
2: to mm, been really sorry. good. <laughs> until we fucked it up. What was no. your banshee going to be, James? No,
1: my
0: actual banshee is another one where someone has asked me to banshee This is for a request from someone on Twitter, which is Star Wars Clone Wars. No, no, before you say, not Star Wars, The Clone Wars Star Wars Clone Wars so before The Clone Wars which is the Dave Filoni series which has been running which ran with sort of the uh, it sort of predated Rebels and then Resistance but is now back on Disney Plus for a final season so before that came which is the CGI sort of 3D uh, rendered one which started with a film Terry's actively yawning into the sorry. microphone <laughs> she has star wars and clone was like, i don't care
2: sorry that was like a weird like pavlovian reaction. response yeah. yeah
0: no before all that so if you cast your minds back to 2003 i want to say yes 2003 cast your mind back to 2003 Gendy Tartakovsky of Samurai Jack uh, fame, and indeed, uh, Hotel Transylvania, uh, did a a 2D cell shaded animation of Clone Wars that was really different in tone, and it was like they were really short. So the first, the first two seasons, they were just three to five minutes each, the episodes were, they were really, really short. And then the third season had sort of, I think, quarter of an hour type length ones but it introduced a Sarge Ventress which is the, the Sith with the twin lightsabers and it was really fun and it, I, I, I liked the tone of this more than I liked The Clone Wars the removal of the definite article distinguishing between the two um, but very few people like loads of people know of The Clone Wars and watch The Clone Wars but few people even in the Empire Office have seen or really know about Clone Wars which is the one that predated it so if you're a fan of The Clone Wars I urge you to seek out Clone Wars 2003
1: I mean
2: how many times did you just say clone wars, clone wars. a of lot of clone wars i'm gonna
1: find out i'm gonna find out where it's viewing hang on uh but that was definitely an education in clone wars versus the clone wars clone yeah wars. exactly yeah. I,
2: I particularly enjoyed the part about the definitive article yeah <laughs> that was my favorite bit
0: thanks i do my best uh right it is streaming it looks like fucking nowhere um <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is amazing. Not even on. Not even on Disney you know what?
0: Plus. I don't think it's on Disney Plus. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong. But that's ridiculous. I can find listings for the Clone Wars. I cannot find any listings for Clone Wars. Gendi Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. That said, I'm absolutely certain you can pick it up on DVD. So if you go online, I'm sure you can find it either new or secondhand. So you can pick it up there. It's probably not very much from Computer Exchange if you want to get it there. So yeah, Star Wars Clone Wars. No, the. right and on that bombshell I believe that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV podcast since we are all in lockdown with endless time on our hands it's the perfect opportunity to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star rating. And while you're at it, why not follow Terry Boyd and myself on Twitter and Instagram, at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White, where you'll find such treasures as images of our youthful selves and Terry's regular Instagram stories calling me a bell end. The long-awaited Picard (laughs) spoiler Special is now up and live on the Empire Spoiler Special account, if you're already a subscriber. Uh, And if you're not, then you can sign up at glow.fm/ Empirefilm uh, where you can hear me and Patrick Stewart breaking down the key moments of that show's first season. We will be back next week with more small screen goodness but in the meantime if you haven't already, get the to iPlayer and watch all 12 episodes of normal people immediately. And if you manage to go the whole thing without crying, then take that as scientific proof that you're a Cylon. Pilot out.